0: Letter twelve part one of the outcast by william winwood reed. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Letter twelve part one as I told you, I read and wrote all day and the greater part of the night as well. My night work was mostly copying, and I made the mistake of writing on white paper, which is very trying to the eyes i was also employed for some time copying manuscripts in a private library and this work taxed my eyesight severely i found that when i woke up in the morning my eyelids were glued together and a young doctor whose acquaintance i had made at the reading-room observing them to be watery and bloodshot advised me to give them rest for a month but how could i pass a month without doing any work unless we could pass it without eating any food i hoped for the best and worked on as before and the consequences may be imagined the next time i caught cold it flew to my eyes inflammation set in and a few days afterwards i was sightless my employers were exceedingly kind they sent me ten pounds on account and begged me not to be anxious i always did my work honestly and well and they would not lose me on any account they would find a substitute while i was ill and as soon as i had recovered my health there was my place ready for me unluckily i twice returned to my work too soon money was so needful to us and twice i relapsed this caused the firm much inconvenience and threw my eyes into a bad state the disease assumed a chronic form and a great oculist whom i consulted said that time rest country air nourishing food and attention to the general health were the only medicines he could recommend margaret had a good deal of jewellery chiefly presents from her father this we were now forced to sell and obtained what we thought a considerable sum we felt quite confident that before it was spent my health would be restored and went to live near hampstead heath where we found board and lodging at a very reasonable rate but my eyes became worse and returning to london we took a bedroom near the hospital at charing cross for which i had procured an outpatient's ticket there my case received every attention but as the oculus had predicted medicines did me no good our money now being nearly at an end we migrated to the neighbourhood of islington where we took a garret at four shillings a week we spent little money but none came in and slowly slowly our store decreased till at last it was finished altogether hitherto my dearest wife had alleviated the sorrows of my blindness by reading to me from my favourite books but now they had to go too i got very little for them but we lived on the money two weeks dear edward said my wife you must let me write to your father or our poor little ellie will starve i gave my consent of course and she wrote but no answer was received we made inquiries about dr chalmers he had gone on a canoe trip up the amazon and had not been heard of for a year on my left hand i wore a gold ring which my mother had made me promise always to wear in memory of her but i thought that our destitution released me from this promise to the dead however i would not sell it i would only pawn it and within a year's time i should surely be able to redeem it one evening at dusk i went out and walked backwards and forwards before several pawnbrokers shops but they were all too public too near the crowded thoroughfare at last i saw some way off down a narrow side street the three golden bowls branching out from the wall of a house this i thought was the place for me so taking off my green shade for fear of being conspicuous and looking anxiously around me though i only knew two or three persons in london i slipped in at the door which was invitingly ajar i found inside three small doors which opened into cells or private boxes with partitions on either side so that those who stood before the counter could not see one another the shopman was talking in a jocular manner to a woman in the box on my left and having tied up her bundle of linen put it on a shelf pinned a ticket to it and handed her the duplicate he wished her good day and came to me i handed him the ring and he took it to the light examined it carefully and offered to advance me two pounds i said that would do very well as i only wanted the money for a few days as i made this very foolish speech a tall thin young man in the box on my right stretched himself half over the counter and looked round into my box with a derisive expression on his face the next evening i saw him talking to some girls before a public-house with his white hat cocked on one side and a cigar in his mouth there thought i is a captain jameson of low degree and perhaps he too has ruined his relations i learnt before long to go to the pawnbroker's without shame and even to bargain with the shopman little by little everything went our boxes our clothes nearly all we had except what we wore for the first time we were in debt we owed a week's rent the landlady came to us and said she saw we couldn't pay the rent and she wouldn't demand it but she got an old lodger come back who wanted our room and so out we must go there was his portmantle downstairs and him waitin' in her parlor we must foot it at once the little we had was soon made into a bundle which i tied to a stick as i had seen tramps do in the country your mother took you in her arms and so we went out into the street it was the month of november a fine drizzly rain filled the air and covered the pavement with a layer of damp in which the gaslights were reflected we walked eastward keeping close to the houses on the right-hand side for the street was thronged with men going home from the city what a heartless crowd it seemed to us poor exiles of happiness outcasts from humanity there was scarcely a woman among them they had pale resolute faces and walked as fast as they were able looking neither to the right nor to the left weary of being jolted and pushed we sank under a doorway and watched them go by An elderly man, poorly but neatly dressed, noticed us as he passed. He went on a few steps, paused, hesitated, then returned, put a penny in my hand, and went quickly away. We bought a roll, which we divided into three equal parts. It was the first time we had eaten that day. The street grew empty, as it seemed, of a sudden, and we continued our journey. We made you walk a little now and then, and carried you by turns margaret insisted on this though scarcely able to bear your weight for a long time past she had been in failing health and i knew she must be feeling very ill but she said not a word in complaint sometimes she gently pressed my hand sometimes i put my arm round her waist and gave her a kiss our love was greater than our misery we were now in the heart of the city and it resembled a city of the dead the streets that in day teemed with human beings were silent and deserted in the midst of these vast solitudes we felt like travellers lost in a wilderness of stone we sat down and rested for a while then margaret said dear edward my courage faints will you pray with me no margaret i answered i pray no more god is hard-hearted edward edward she cried with a gesture of affright do not put such thoughts into my heart they come there often and i drive them away oh my dear husband make me good help me to place my trust in god and to love him and to her words ended in sobs i embraced her and knelt on the cold stones but i did it only of my love for her i was sullen and rebellious she knelt also and prayed aloud with the sleeping child in her arms a policeman came up while thus we were engaged and told us to move on i laughed a mocking laugh to myself yet my wife was cheered by this hasty prayer and her eyes brightened up when we had gone a little way she stopped and said edward it is useless to walk about like this we can sleep in the workhouse and that is better than being out of doors i had thought of this and feared to propose it but it was no time for sentiment and pride i saw a man coming towards us and when he drew near it was plain that he belonged to the class who could give poor vagrants information and advice he wore a fur cap on his head and a white comforter round his throat he slouched along with his hands in the pockets of his corduroy trousers and was whistling a tune i asked him if he could direct us to the nearest workhouse where we might sleep well said he you won't get much sleep in them institutions why won't you go to a model lodging-house it's only a penny a night and every luxury of the season i replied that we had not so much as a penny god strike me dead said he catching up my hand and feeling the tips of my fingers you're gentlefolk too by your hand we were said i a long time ago i dare say now said he in a coaxing voice as you were a clerk or something of that yes said i not exactly a clerk but doing the same kind of work and when your eyes went bad he said glancing at my green shade they gave you the sack i nodded and then you spouted all you'd got except what's there in your bundle and i don't think it's much and you got behindhand with your rent and they turned you out into the streets i told him he had guessed right guessed said this man learned in misery it ain't guessing at all can't i see it before me just as plain as a playbill on the wall now come along with me and i'll give you a night's lodging and a bit of hot supper into the bargain i'm flush for i've just done a good bit of work don't trouble sir i'll carry the young un i suppose said i that you are a skilled working man yes he replied there ain't a skillder man than me in my own line bar one i began life as a policeman but i saw the error of my ways and left off makin war on my fellow-creatures what never done me any harm i asked several other questions and he returned answers which i did not always understand and which seemed intended chiefly for his own amusement as he chuckled to himself after he had made them he took us beyond the bank into a part of london where i had never been before i saw to my astonishment a great wide street lined on both sides of the way with innumerable trays or trucks of fruit fish and other edibles each truck being lighted by a candle in a glass shade the pavement was crowded with people all of the lower class and the bustle was extraordinary our companion told us that this was the whitechapel road and seeing that margaret and i were both very weak he bought us a penny cup of coffee this gave us new strength and we were able to keep up with him though he walked very quickly glancing from side to side and sometimes looking back over his shoulder he said that it was against his principles as a respectable working man to dawdle in the streets then he had such a large acquaintance in the force he feared he might perhaps be detained if he met any of them or bless you said he they wouldn't let me go i might tell em i got particular business or that my old mother was anxious if i stopped out late or that i was taking home friends to supper they wouldn't listen to a word they're so very pressing in their invitations are my old pals they won't take no refusal not at any price whatever he now left the whitechapel road and turning to the right plunged us into a perfect labyrinth of by-streets and alleys some of these streets were deserted like those in the city and we passed two large buildings each of which perfumed the air for a considerable distance the first was a sugar bakery the second a brewery which last our guide sniffed with much satisfaction one street we entered was devoted to festivity nearly every house was brilliantly lighted and from half-open doors proceeded the sounds of harp and fiddle and thumping of feet or laughter clamour and song women without any bonnets strolled to and fro and half-drunken sailors rollicked merrily along not far from this street we came to another in which the houses were all more or less dilapidated and most of them seemed to be empty the man told us we were nearly there and giving a long shrill whistle stopped to listen as if for a reply two whistles responded from the bottom of the street he then pushed quickly on passed under an arch into a small court and knocking at the door of a house within called for a light an old woman opened the door with a farthing dip in her hand and the man having chucked her under the chin and asked her if she felt pretty bobbish led us up to a room on the second floor it was a poor bare room enough the walls blackened with dirt the broken window panes stuffed with rags but it was a sweet refuge to us that night after our weary wanderings our host told us the old woman was his mother and we mustn't mind her being cross she being a real good sort all the same He went out and talked with her some time. At first her voice sounded keen and shrill, but it softened down and she came in with a mattress and blanket which she laid on the floor, then served us some sausages with potatoes baked in their skins. After we had supped, our host came in and sat with us, smoking a short clay pipe. I was now able to study his appearance. On his right hand was a fresh red scar which he tried to keep covered with his left. It seemed like the bite of a dog. The expression of his face was not prepossessing. His look was kind, but it was a scant, and there was something cunning in his smile. When he paid us little acts of attention, such as arranging the mattress or making up the fire, it was done, so I thought, in an underhanded kind of way. However, I stopped myself in the midst of these reflections, which were not very grateful, and thanked him warmly for having saved us from the miseries of the street. He mumbled something about a workhouse being no place for her, pointing at my wife with his thumb. End of letter twelve, part one recording by expatriate in Bangor, Maine.